Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 362 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Julie Schickel. Julie lives in McCungie, Pennsylvania, and she is a certified financial planner and a wife and a mom of two. Welcome, Julie. Thank you, Jen. It's nice meeting you. And did I get all those words right? You did. Okay, good. (laughs) I don't care how many times I practice them before we start recording. I'm like, what was that again? Anyway, I'm glad that I did. So nice to talk to you today. And you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? It's a very specific date of April 19 of 2021, but I won't tell you why that date was significant until a little bit later. I can't wait to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you my story, but I have to start with my parents' story because I think all of us had that 
parent origin story that makes us who we are and why we eat the things we do. So my dad was born in South Korea in 1939, and he was born into extreme poverty. The country was not industrialized. It's not what it was now. And I know that he had gone through points of starvation. Right. And that's the bottom line. He was hungry. Now, when he was a young man in South Korea, you could join the U.S. Army, serve time, and then immigrate. And oh, I didn't know that. I didn't either, but that's how he got here. So he and my mother immigrated in 1975, and that's when I was born. Now, she's 10 years younger than him and had a little easier upbringing. Her parents were educated, and they may have not had a whole lot, but they certainly weren't starving. Right. So I think how she treated food was a lot different than how he treated food. And I also bet the time frame was probably a hard time frame. If he was born in 39, you know, that he was young during World War II. And so I bet that really impacted the food security of the region. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So when I was growing up, I just assumed that my dad was fat. As a child, I had seen pictures of him and my mom together when she was nine months pregnant with me. And he looked exactly the same amount of pregnant. So I just thought that this was a man who had a big old belly and that's his lot in life. But I didn't realize till later when I'd seen pictures of him when he was a young man that he was thin and he didn't look like that. It was only when they got here that he saw probably the abundance and the ease of food and just was in food heaven. Like there was no food scarcity. Yeah. (laughs) So the quality of food probably didn't matter. He was just excited because it was always around at his disposal. You know, and you get those things wired in your brain very early. He probably learned as a child, very young child, eat as much food as available. Because when you're hungry and you are really living in scarcity, you have to learn to do that. So that wiring was there from that early age. And then here we are in America with the abundance of not really good things, but he was like, I got to eat it. Absolutely. And my mom, she didn't have a weight problem. And again, I attribute that to probably she saw the food, but was like, I already had food, so I'm okay. And she was still home cooking, like as best as they could, given the limited resources of what they could gather at that time. She was making home cooked meals for the two of them, but he was likely supplementing on top of it. All of the deliciousness and the Twinkies and Tang and Vienna sausages, I remember, were a staple in the house. So he was probably eating her meals plus the extras. And very quickly, he got the big, round, rotund belly in the front, which wasn't healthy. I know he had had his first heart attack in his early 50s, another one in his 60s. And then he tried so hard with limited knowledge and resources on how to eat and exercise. He was always just exercising and he cut out all fat, all meat, which leaves carbs. And he got skinny, but very like loose and he was weak. And I wish I knew then what I know now, because Mm -hmm. maybe I could have helped him, but We didn't know. Yeah. Was that during the low-fat era of the 90s? I'm trying to picture that. Yes. I'm Mm going to say that because he would run around in the driveway and get all sweaty and then eat like a raw onion like an apple. He just was trying his best, but he didn't know. 
Yeah. And there were also a lot of junk foods around at the time that, you know, whatever the current trend is, they're going to make junk foods for it. So like in that time, he was not eating the fat and the meat, but there were low fat junk foods. Just like right now, we can find keto junk foods or even intermittent fasting foods. By the way, everybody, do not eat intermittent fasting foods. (laughs) (laughs) And I wish I had this knowledge for him, but it was too late. And my mom had, she had maintained a pretty good weight through all of it. I only saw her become extremely inflamed and she was uh, having a hard time walking. These were during the later years when she was taking care of my dad, when he was in his final years ailing, that she got really, really heavy in the bottom and she was having a lot of difficulty with mobility. But outside of those times, I don't remember her having a weight issue at all. So it brings us back to me and how I was treating food. So I was born in 1975. I'll be 48 on Wednesday. Happy birthday. Thank you. And I don't think that I had any kind of weight issue until I was about five. And then I look back at pictures and I look very average and normal again around age 10 or 11. So I think in a five-year period of time, I had gotten a little pudgy and I know why. And that's because my mom was doing all the delicious home cooking, but I had grape Fanta at my disposal. I had everything because what they lacked was any knowledge of like a food pyramid at that time or nutrition. I remember my mom proudly telling us that her cousin, who's a doctor, told her that as long as you ate cereal, you would be okay because it was fortified. It had all of the nutrition in it and the, and they really believed in like industrial wisdom. And they thought that if it was made by a factory with like professionals, that it must be good for you. So we ate it. You know, that grape Fanta that you mentioned that, I guess, early versions of you know, what we now call greenwashing, you feel like it's healthy. I can remember when I was in high school, I worked at Long John Silver's and I'm like doing the cash register. I don't know if you've ever been to a Long John Silver's, very yeah. fried food, but I can remember a mom and her kids were there. This was in probably 1986 and I was young. So I remember even then the mom was like, the kids were ordering and one of the kids said they wanted a Coke. And the mom said, no, get an orange soda. It's better for you. Wow. And even <laughs> at the age, you know, I was in 1986, I remember thinking, I don't think so. But, you know, your parents may have well thought grape Fanta was healthier than other choices because it's got that grape in it. We feel like it's the fruit, right? Probably. And maybe on the can, it may have even said something like natural flavorings. Yeah. Juice. Yes. And they bought into it and they loved it. And I could drink it as much as I wanted. And I do remember sitting in front of the TV and my mom would come in with like a whole watermelon. And that was our serving. Like we didn't eat a, a bowl. We ate the whole thing. Like serving sizes were not even anything that they were thinking about. Right. So of course, from five to 10, I mean, I got pudgy. And I think by middle school, maybe just through a growth spurt that went away. And then I didn't have any kind of weight issues until probably my second pregnancy. So I had a good long run, Jen. I didn't have... (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't chronic dieting in there. I went through a phase with all the other girls of like buying Slim Fast, but I was drinking them because they tasted good. They were a drink in addition to the meal, not a meal replacement. Right. So it was okay. My first pregnancy with my daughter, I gained 40 pounds. 
and I was okay. It kind of all fell off. But then my son came and I got gestational diabetes. And then, of course, they send you to a nutritionist and they say, eat a whole lot of little meals, check your blood sugars, and you get a really scary message in there, which is you have a 50% chance of getting type 2 diabetes if wow. you have gestational diabetes. And I always had that in my mind. And I knew that I was that person who couldn't control my blood sugar with diet alone. So I was injecting insulin multiple times a day through my pregnancy. And I believe that the 50% who are lucky enough to not get type 2 diabetes may have been the people who were able to control their diabetes during pregnancy with diet alone. Right. I'm pretty sure that I was going to get type 2 diabetes because of the way that I ate, which was with reckless abandon. And just because I knew I was a very sugary human being, because I had to take insulin while I was pregnant. Right. What year was your son born? 2011. Okay. And truth be told, I should probably have been obese based on the sheer quantity of food that I was consuming every day and the way that I was eating it. Like I wasn't, I didn't think it was normal until I could feel the food coming back up. I mean, I know that's completely ridiculous, but when that becomes your norm, that's mm -hmm. your norm. I think that the only three reasons that I hadn't become obese is because age, I'm still young enough, maybe ethnicity, because through our own heritage, we're just built in certain ways. And growing up, I mean, we weren't eating pancakes for breakfast. Like in Asian families, dinners are kind of like lunch, breakfast, dinner. They're all the same. Yeah. So maybe that was helping. I don't know. I can't say for sure, but these are just speculations that I've had over the years. And then I think maybe even what I was eating was helping. And that's because I'm a quantity eater and I would down a whole head of roasted cauliflower over eating like a small delicious thing because it makes you feel full. Right. And I think you like that the that volume, the it. bulk, the satiety of you wanted those stretch receptors in your stomach to feel really full. And that's how you knew you'd had enough. And I wonder if some of that was, again, like programmed from your dad feeling like he probably got to feel, you know, that comfort of you y'all eating that whole watermelon and feeling so satiated and like now we've had enough. So that probably Maybe. came from some of that. It has to come from somewhere because it is not normal. I was tracking calories for a little bit because I was concerned about how much I was eating. And I was probably putting down about 3,300 calories wow. a day regularly. And I can't explain why I hadn't gotten to a point of having severe weight issues yet. But even if it's a slow weight gain over time, I'm sure by the time I was in my 60s and 70s, like some of your guests are, that I would have been obese. What's the highest weight you remember getting to not being pregnant? So I went back into my doctor's records because I don't weigh. And so I had to look up something. And right. in 2019, I'd had a checkup and I was clocking in at 148 and I'm 5'4". Okay. okay. So you managed to keep that. Yeah, that's not... Would that be in the overweight category? Is it just a little it's, bit? It may be, but I didn't know. And yeah. I just knew that I felt terrible. Right. So the slightly weight in that overweight category, perhaps, but definitely you never got to the obese category. But see, this just goes, I mean, it's such an interesting thing to think about calories in, calories out, right? Because it makes so much sense on paper. Like you can do a formula and figure out your basal metabolic rate and your activity levels. And then it'll tell you exactly how many calories you're burning and what you should eat. But you were eating 
3,300 calories a day some days, and you were not gaining the amount of weight that that mathematical model would have said that you would have gained. Because the thing that we forget about is calories out, and that's what our bodies do. And our bodies can crank up that metabolic rate and burn those calories, and things can go straight through us. And we do not, however many calories you put in is not equal to how many calories your body can get from that, basically. So it's such an interesting factor. You know, someone else might have been eating 1,300 calories a day and gaining weight. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's buyoptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Absolutely. So it wasn't about what the scale was registering that made me do this. All I knew is that I felt terrible Mm -hmm. and that it had to be unnatural to be this young and so lethargic and having achy joints. And I knew that I had lost some of what I was calling my like Kung Fu grip. Like I couldn't grip pencils right or I would drop Mm -hmm. something and I had a hard time picking it up and that's not normal. I went to the doctor and said, oh, you know, I must have Lyme disease or Hashimoto's or something. And I do have a hypothyroid and that's been for several years. But people live with hypothyroidism and they're not suffering with the same conditions that I thought I was. One of the worst ones was probably such severe eczema. And cuts on the hands through the winter season that I would sleep with gloves on or socks on the hands with neosporin spread all over it and 20 Band-Aids all over the hands. And you just can't function like that. You can't wash dishes for your kids and serve them meals and then go back to putting 25 Band-Aids on. But again, I thought, okay, so this is my normal. I'm a slow healer. I always knew I was a slow healer. So 
after my son was born with the gestational diabetes and he really, I blame him for stretching my stomach out really, really, really bad. <laughs> I <laughs> like, like your the size torpedo, of your belly. Like a, like yeah, yeah, a yeah, yeah, torpedo yeah. belly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So was, he, I, was he large? Well, he was well controlled with the insulin and okay. delivered a week early to keep him from getting too big. And my kids were both about eight pounds at birth. Not unusually large, but I would say pretty average size for nowadays. But I did go and get a full abdominoplasty in 2019 just to remove that excess skin. And that's not going to help anything else other than loose skin. Right. It doesn't help your glucose numbers or your diet. (laughs) (laughs) But the reason I bring up the tummy tuck is because I healed way slower from the surgery than everyone I had talked to about the surgery and even what the doctors would tell you. But my wonderful, beautiful mother stayed with me for many weeks while I was going through recovery and she fed me around the clock because this is what she does. So she just assumes I'm hungry and I was hungry. So I just ate and ate and ate. And I think that all that eating slows down healing. healing. I think so too. You know, but somebody in the community just had some surgery I think it was this past week. I can't remember what her surgery was, but oh, I think it was something with her wrist. And it was her second surgery. She'd had one before. And her doctor was amazed at her rate of healing. And she was also amazed at her rate of healing compared to the other one before she was a faster. I really, really think it makes sense. We're not putting in the food. Our body can heal. Absolutely. I'm convinced that High blood sugar keeps your wounds from closing up. Well, I think so too. I think we know that from diabetics. Absolutely. Even as a teenager, I would bite the inside of my mouth and it wouldn't heal for two weeks. And my best friend would create an ulcer in her mouth from biting it and it would be gone the next day. I remember thinking about that. I didn't know what it was. I just knew she was Wolverine and I wasn't. I didn't know there was something wrong with me. I just thought she was special. (laughs) Right. So you took a long time to heal from that tummy tuck. I did. You don't know then what's happening, but in retrospect, I know what was happening. So I'm going to bring us back to April 19 of 2021. Okay. That was my son's 10th birthday. And I wasn't that mom who was like raising kids delightfully. I was kind of like all over them and stressed out and high cortisol and just getting them through the daily motions. But Somehow on his 10th birthday, I just gave myself permission that it was okay, that I'd gotten them to that point, and I needed to start taking care of myself. And leading up to it, I knew the time was coming because I had cut a watermelon. It keeps coming back to watermelon. I had cut a watermelon and ate that middle piece myself. And that middle piece had always been delegated for like a child, but I ate it. So it was a time where I was okay to put things down, let the kids go a little bit and start focusing on wellness. You deserve that good middle part of the watermelon, Julie. Yeah. That's what I said. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but that's very typical. I think mothers everywhere and, and, you know, fathers too, but you and I are mothers. We can only speak from our own perspectives, but we do sacrifice a lot of things for our children and it's almost unthinkable to think about, well, well, of course I give the best to my kids. And that's what your mom had taught you. She gave the best to you and you learned from her. And so you're like, nope, this one's for me. That's right. And on that day, I downloaded the Noom app. I didn't know what it was going to do, but it was on the commercials. So I said, I'm going to download this. And it was more about giving colors to foods to indicate 
better for you versus worse for you. And I was like, I got to start somewhere. I don't even right. know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do this because I'm sick of feeling sick and tired. I was annoyed with the process of eating because it was just so time consuming that I wish I you could pop a pill that gave you all the sensations and the flavors, but not have to hunt it down and cook it and clean after it and all that. So I, it was time for a change. Now, during that time of Noom, I had already cut sugar out of my morning coffee, maybe two years prior. I don't know why I just did it. I had cut out Diet Coke because I woke up one morning thinking it was the devil. <laughs> Again, wasn't sure why, but I was like, I think this might be poison. And I just stopped drinking it. You know, when you've been away from it for a long time and you go back to it, it actually does taste like poison. I mean, there was a period of time that I loved it. Probably you did too. And I would crave it. It's like that weird craving for that flavor. But when you stop it and you try to reintroduce it, you're like, how did I like this? Well, now that we're talking about it, I think I remember exactly why I stopped drinking it is because I think I had gotten a case that had been sitting on a truck for too long in the heat and I cracked it open, I drank it and it was poison. Something yeah. chemically had changed in it and Ugh. I drank it and I was like, if this is what happens to it when you heat it, when you put it in your body, it's probably doing the same thing. And I just stopped. Yeah, and uh, that's a great point because we don't even know what it's been through before it gets to us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I did love Diet Coke. Oh, me too. I was addicted to it. Honestly, it has that. I can still right now picture what it tasted like and that burn, whatever it is when you're. But you look, I'm drinking my Kroger seltzer water right now. It's got that fizz. It's refreshing. It's anyway, be it's better. It's better. So you just decided no more Diet Coke for you. Once in a while as a special something, if I really, really wanted it with a piece of pizza or something that it goes well with, it goes well with Chinese food. I don't know, Mexican food. <laughs> Sometimes you just want it, but I, I'm not drinking it regularly. And I had also, before I found you, cut cream out of my coffee. So lucky for me, I didn't have the same hurdles that others did by the time they got to you. So I'm going to backtrack. What was the year that the New England Journal of Medicine had put out the article about that. That Ooh, was that. December 20, was it the 26th, 24th or 26th? I think it was the 26th of 2019. That was when Mark Matson's New England Journal of Medicine article about the health benefits of intermittent fasting came out. That was a very exciting time because people were, I still had the Facebook communities and people started joining and when we said, why do you want to do intermittent fasting? People always said, because I want to lose weight. But all of a sudden, right after this came out, people started saying for the health benefits. And that was like, like gave me goosebumps every time I read that because we had been so focused on losing weight, losing weight, losing weight. But suddenly we were like health benefits, health benefits, health benefits. And that was a big turning point, I think, in the whole community, thanks to Mark Matson. So is that when you heard about it? Right around that time, I think it was in 2019, I go to lunch occasionally with a friend of mine and his name is Bob. And he showed up to lunch hungry. And he said, I haven't eaten yet today. I'm really hungry. And I was like, well, why haven't you eaten today? Like, that's just weird. And he's like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm intermittent fasting. And I shrugged him off because one, Bob doesn't have a weight management issue at all. And also he was always like pushing the envelope with health things. And I'm pretty sure he had gotten his hands on that article or heard about it yeah. because all of a sudden he was doing that and I didn't pay much attention to it, but I know that he had mentioned something about MCTs and that <laughs> probably is all around that time. He probably read something else. Like he probably got his hands on something with like Dave Asprey because Dave Asprey was the MCT guy putting that in your coffee. And that also might be why Bob was hungry. <laughs> Sorry, Maybe. Bob. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I ignored him and I didn't ask him anything right. else about it. But then fast forward to May of 2021, mm-hmm. we were on our way to Surfside Beach for my Woo! friend's birthday. It's a year delayed from COVID. It was her 50th birthday. We were going to do a do-over. And I picked up a friend of mine in Philadelphia. And then she and I drove to just outside of DC to our friend Colleen in Arlington. And she was going to drive the first leg of the trip. And she let us know in the car that she would not be eating breakfast. And I didn't understand, but I was just feeling so fortunate and blessed that I had my cooler packed full of my snack because she was going to try to starve us and I wasn't going to have that. (laughs) So how lucky for me that I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I was fortunate enough to prepare, but she didn't. She didn't stop, and we eventually stopped. And I ate through my whole trip because I don't like to feel hunger pangs, and I usually eat before I even feel them. Yeah, I mean that's one of the things at night that I used to pray and be thankful for is having never missed a meal. Like these were things that were really important because I thought that hunger pang meant that like death was imminent. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I, yeah. It's true. And somebody in the community today, she said, I was listening to somebody else on a podcast. I don't know what podcast it was. I don't know who it was. I don't know anything about it. But the guest on that podcast said that her strategy was she never ate till her stomach growled. And so the person was asking, what do you think, Jen? Do you think that's a good strategy? And I said, no, no, it's not. (laughs) I would not recommend that because, you know, your stomach growls for all sorts of reasons. And that doesn't mean that you must eat right that minute. We have interpreted as a society, like you just said, you were afraid that your stomach would be growling and that you'd be hungry. And so if you eat every time your stomach growls, your stomach being empty makes it growl. But stomach being empty doesn't mean you must eat. And so we've gotten to the point where we like are afraid of an empty stomach. Absolutely. I was terrified of an empty stomach. And when Colleen said that she was intermittent fasting and once a week she didn't eat till dinner, I just listened to her, but I wasn't taking any of it in. She was already thin. And like, Bob, I just assumed that people who were doing this thing were skinny people who were pushing the envelope and being weird. (laughs) (laughs) But I love that Colleen told you about it on your way to Surfside Beach. That just seems fitting, which is where I live now, Surfside Beach. (laughs) It really is. It really is. So one of the things that kept my brain from absorbing the words that they were saying is I don't like the words intermittent fasting. I don't know what it is. I just couldn't hear them. But I had been walking my dog and listening to a podcast and somebody somewhere said time-restricted eating. And I don't know why, but that was okay. And I think because I use time as a metric, I'm really good at keeping time. It's one of the things I really respect. And that I could take in, whereas intermittent fasting was not delightful to my ears, so I couldn't hear I totally it. get it. I've heard that from lots and lots of people. Unfortunately, I did not make up the idea of intermittent fasting. I didn't name it. I, just, <laughs> I don't get to go back and change the lingo. It's already out there, but you're right. The words intermittent fasting, the word fasting is like red flag to brains, you know, because of what we assume that it is. But time-restricted eating is really... I mean, of course, there's lots of different intermittent fasting strategies. Alternate daily fasting is not the same as time-restricted eating, but time-restricted eating does sound a lot more gentle. Oh, it's just time-restricted eating. We've got that boundary of the eating window and it feels, okay, I can do that. Absolutely. And I really think that my journey to good health started with four things. And one of them 
is an iPhone. The second is AirPods. The third thing is my dog who forces me to go outside. I could be quite sedentary. He makes me go outside. And then the fourth thing is podcasts because while I'm walking the dog, I want to multitask. And who knows how I stumbled onto your podcast, Jen, but I did. And then it led me to Dr. Fung and all the same things that other people tell you. But I listened to your podcast randomly and I didn't know, I didn't think it was for me, but I kept listening because the stories were just delightful. These people were really full of hope and they had turned right. their lives around. But the first 10, 15 I'd listened to, your guests had started off on a weight loss journey because they were in a state of obesity. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't there yet, but I kept listening. And I'm really, really glad I did because it hit on other guests who had come in through the health side. And some of the things that really kept me listening is, I think that you might be a word wizard because there are just some some phrases in there that resonated. Like, I think delay, don't deny might be just genius because I remember those words all the time and it makes sense. Yeah. And like window worthy and tweak it till it's easy. They're all so easy, memorable The alliteration works for me, and it just stuck. Well, that is my gift. My gift is words. And when I was an elementary teacher, I had those little things I would say to my students. And I can remember a student who I love so very much. She was a senior in high school, and she invited me to go to this award ceremony. I taught her in elementary school, and she's now in vet school, and she's so cute. And we like play Wordle and talk about how we're doing on Wordle, but she's adorable, and I love her. But when she was a senior in high school, she said, I still remember these things that you said to me. And she like rattled off some of the things I taught her when she was like in third grade. And I'm like, oh, yeah, word, that's what I do. So I'm really, really happy. It's my teacher background. And we get phrases and we we're like, okay, delay, don't deny. Okay, tweak it till it's easy. Okay, the health plan with the side effect of weight loss. And those are powerful but simple phrases that all of a sudden you understand why we're doing all the things we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful that I found the podcast because there are teaching moments in every single one of them, regardless of how they got to you and why they stuck with fasting in general. Everyone has the non-scale victories or they wouldn't still be here. And I'm just so grateful for it. Well, that makes me really happy. I love that you just stumbled upon it and just started listening. And, you know, stories are just... As humans, we love stories. You go back to, you know, ancient times, people sitting around the campfire telling stories and inspiring each other with stories or scaring the kids with stories or whatever. But, you know, I'm so grateful that I had the idea to do intermittent fasting stories. And I thought, would anyone want to listen? Is this going to be boring? Well, I just like to talk to people. So let's see what happens. And so you see what's happened. And here we are on episode one. I'm going to have to look episode 362. And so many more to come because we just love to learn from other people. We're hardwired for that, I think. Absolutely. Jen, is this a good time to talk about non-scale victories? It absolutely is. It's never a bad time to talk about (laughs) non-scale victories. So before I used to be in a crouching position, I don't know, maybe gardening. Well, no, I don't garden much. I'm lying. I don't know. Bending down to pick something up. And when I would get up, I would go through these like waves of dizziness. And I didn't know what it was, but I just thought I had low blood pressure and that's what it is. But I haven't had that in two years. So that must have had something to do with the eating. I bet your blood sugar perhaps. And I thought that that was something that I 
I was just going to have to experience. And maybe I was crouching down less. I don't know, but I don't experience that anymore. The terrible eczema and cuts on my hands that I had told you about before are gone. Wow. The first winter that they didn't appear, I didn't want to attribute that to the new way of eating because it was too soon. Right. So I had to let two winters go by. And when it didn't come back, that has to be yeah, from eating less frequently. I had the normal headaches that you hear people talk about. I rarely get them anymore. So there's another one. I remember having like a dark spot on my knee. Like if you were cleaning on your hands and knees all day long and you had a little bit of a bruised area that was on one of the knees and that cleared itself up. I know that that's strange and random, but it's gone. Skin tags. So I hear people talk about skin tags. Those I got during my gestational diabetes pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And they were always there. And I remember my dad had them. They flattened out. I think they might be still there, but they're flatter. And then probably one of the better side effects is just a better mood in general. Because when you feel better and you're less tired and less lethargic, just your general state of being becomes better. I am saving so much time because I don't have to pack a whole cooler full of snacks and lunch and more snacks just to get myself on the road. Maybe I thought I was going to drive off into a ditch and needed like two days worth of food. (laughs) (laughs) It's really liberating to not have to do that. It's true. It's true. We were just in San Francisco and we were trying to figure out where we were all going to eat. But it was very complicated, very, very complicated. You wouldn't think it would be so hard. This was around lunchtime. And I was like, look, if we can't find something I want to eat, I just won't eat. It's no big deal. Turns out we did find something I wanted to eat, but it was not an emergency. I was like, I'll just wait. I'll wait till dinner. I want to thank you because you gave me permission to not eat. Like that just wasn't even an option. I didn't even know that you could not eat and be alive but you can. <laughs> it's hunger. It's not an emergency and it doesn't build and build. That's the part that I think, you know, you going back to always having that cooler packed and being afraid of your stomach growling or being hungry. We never got to the point where we got to see what would happen because we just assumed it got worse and worse and worse. And then we would die or something, or we would pass out. We would faint. We would be on the floor. We wouldn't be able to think. And once and you're fat adapted, that, that is not what happens. Someone recently said, you know, somebody else was like, do we wait until we're legitimately hungry to eat? Do we legitimately wait? Is that what we're supposed to do? You know, separated from the whole idea of waiting until your stomach growls. Do we wait until we're hungry? I'm like, no, you don't have to wait to be hungry. That might not ever come. I mean, if we're really fat adapted and we're fasting and, you know, it's four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. You don't just keep fasting forever till the hunger kicks in because you might not feel it. It's okay to open because it's four o'clock or because you want to. Hunger is not an emergency, but it's also not a requirement to eat. Am I making any sense? I might be rambling. Absolutely. It makes bit, sense. But- I'm really quite gentle with all of it. I don't like skipping meals very much. I do still eat most likely in a six to eight hour window yeah, every that day. Good. That's what your body enjoys. Mm-hmm. And every single day is different yeah. because your activities are different and work is different and the children's schedule is different. So when it happens, it happens, but there's no strict element of when the food's going to start and when it's going to end. We, I'm trying to live life a little more gracefully now than I was doing before. 
And that means you eat when you eat. Right. And you don't have to have like, well, I must wait until I can't ever eat before two, or I must wait for the growl, or if I'm not hungry yet, I'm not allowed to eat. No, there's so many reasons why you might decide it's time to eat. And it might just be because, wow, that looks really good. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) That's okay too. So when is your window during the day? Or is it very, very different? It's different every day, but I do like having my breakfast or lunch occur around one o'clock. Okay. And I like to eat dinner with the kids and have everything packed up maybe by six or seven. But again, every day is different. And there were two times over the last couple of years where something in my body just didn't feel right. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was a sore spot that wouldn't heal itself. And I did try an alternative daily fast. I didn't love it, but I was doing it for the health benefit just to shake things up. With alternate daily fasting, I think I think about food too much. It's like too much time. And then it's not that I'm becoming compulsive about the food, but I find myself thinking about it more than I would on a normal day. It just takes up too much mental space. It does. And that's what we want. Like that's that whole tweak it till it's easy. We want to get into whatever routine takes up less mental space and makes us less obsessed about eating or not eating. And for some people, ADF is the key for them to, because then they have a whole day perhaps where they don't, 36 hours, they don't have to think about food. But for other people like you, it made you think about it more. That's where we're all so different. Absolutely. And I think that I would be completely remiss if I didn't tell you the best non-scale victory for me is actually my mother. So about six months after I had found time-restricted eating, I introduced it to my mom and she was in probably 73 at that point. My dad had passed away and she was still really inflamed and she could barely walk. Her knees were terrible. I would, if I was ever with her and she wanted to go shopping, I would have to drop her off right at that door because there was no way she was walking from the parking lot. She just couldn't. It was just too painful. Or if she was visiting me, I would see her come up and down the stairs in the same direction. Like she was walking backward down the steps because doing it the normal way would hurt her knees so badly. She just couldn't do it. My mom is an excellent student. She took all the things that I had heard from you and from Dr. Fung, and she really went with it. And I noticed probably she lost 30 to 40 pounds of inflammation on a five-foot frame. I mean, it's a lot. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500 500. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. 
This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't the wait for her, but she felt so terrible. And now she's able to walk three miles a day, whereas before she couldn't walk from the parking lot. Well, you tell your mom, I am so proud of her and happy for her because that is huge. And, you know, 30 to 40 pounds hauling around all the time, that is going to be hard on your knees and your joints. And it's a lot. So I love it. I love that your mom embraced it. And she really did embrace it. She embraced it down to the black coffee, which she was kind of like, oh my gosh, I've been drinking coffee since I was 10. And, and she she had started <laughs> when she was 10. And she's like... I can't drink that black. And I was like, you can, and you will. And she did. <laughs> I love that so much. You can, and you will. <laughs> She's like, all right, Julie, I'll try. I love that. And she, she did, did so great with it. But then maybe about a year into this wonderful success she had, she called me and she's like, you know, I think you can put lemon in your water. And I was like, mom, why would you do that? Like, after all no, this. No, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Good try, but no. Yeah, boring during the fast. Have all the lemon you want when your eating window is open. I love that she's doing well. This type of time-restricted eating is working well for me. It's working well for my mother. But I can understand that this wouldn't work for some people. We're also metabolically different. And I still right. have plenty of friends who are eating a very nutritious diet spread out over a long period of time in the day with very little time in between. And they're doing fine with that because that works for them. I just think that maybe when you have poor glucose control, that that wouldn't work. Well, it really does have a lot to do with each person as an individual. You know, I talked about that. I was just in San Francisco with Cal and Kate and they are frequent eaters, but man, are they active. Like the very first morning when I woke up there Cal walks Kate to work every single day. He works from home, but he gets up, walks her to work. It's like a mile to her work. And then he walks back home. And so I joined them on the first morning walk. We walked eight to nine miles a day for three days in a row. Yeah, I mean, we walked a lot up the hills, down the hills, all around. And they just have a very active lifestyle. So they wake up, they eat before they go to work with her. And then they walk. So they are not going to have metabolic problems because we know that if you walk after a meal, it helps your body process that glucose. So, But if they ever did find they had problems, they would understand intermittent fasting as a tool. They don't need it right now. Sure thing. Yep. And I think that that has a lot to do with is how active you are. And yep. I don't believe that I'm very active. Some of it because of work and some of it by choice. I'm super gentle. I don't like to feel my heart racing and I don't like to sweat. <laughs> I don't like to sweat either. Good thing in San Francisco, there was no sweating, but it was so cold. I didn't bring a jacket. Luckily, Chad brought two and he let me wear one of them the whole time. But I was able to keep up with those kids. I was able to do it. Chad and I were. We walked all the way up to the top of Telegraph Hill on those stairs. And other than feeling a little scared because it was so far looking down, I don't like heights like in that regard. But we were able to do it. We did everything we were asked to do. And thank goodness for fasting. Absolutely. Well, my husband, he's very active. I mean, he's in his 50s. He's still playing a lot of soccer and he goes to the gym and I just 
watch him and I don't. But he is very fit and has a lot of lean muscle mass. But he's also gone to black coffee. And I catch him once in a while not eating breakfast and rolling right into lunchtime. Mm -hmm. And I think he's doing it because he realizes that there are incredible health benefits to not constantly putting fuel in the fire. And he's open to it. I hear other people on your podcast wonder if it's okay to do this when you have kids in the house and daughters. And I'm going to say that if you do it through the lens of health benefits, yeah. that it's fine. And children are, they're really into themselves and they, I don't even know that <laughs> they notice what the parents are eating as long as they're eating. But I normally have dinner with them anyway. I do talk to my daughter. She's a high school athlete at this point, running around all the time and weight isn't an issue, but I'm really, really happy that I can share this with her later if it ever does become an issue. I plant some seeds and she's not really receptive to it because it really does buck against a lot of things that you hear. Oh yeah. But you're modeling a good relationship with food. Like you are not modeling diet thinking and scared of food and good food, bad food. You're modeling, I eat when I'm hungry. I listen to my body. I stop when I've had enough. And you eat according to when your body needs it. So you're showing her that instead of like teaching her diet mentality, which I think would be way worse, way worse than showing her intermittent fasting. And I don't want to come at this with my daughter as a cure-all. It isn't. There are things that it will do for you and there are things that it won't. It didn't fix hypothyroidism. Right. You talk about appetite correction and for a lot of people, it does. And for me, it's iffy. I am still in love with a lot of junky foods. It's just that there's less time to eat the junky foods. Right. There's less time to eat stupid fillers like granola bars because you're trying to eat your meals in the allotted time. I still want to eat a whole bag of Boom Chicka Pop and Pirate's Booty. That's why I do not (laughs) buy Pirate's Booty, honestly. I would eat the whole bag. The whole bag is one serving to me. I don't care how big the bag is because you never have the... That's that stretch receptors again in our stomach. You look at the bag and it's huge. But if you put that in like a bowl of water, it would like go down to nothing. So it just goes right through. It doesn't make your stomach acknowledge that you've had food. So, yeah. Yeah. You never register that you're full from it. Never. I can swap back and forth easily from ice cream to salt and vinegar chips and then back to cookies and then to boom sugar pop and back and forth, back and forth. And you could eat all of it and never feel full. Still be like, hey, I could eat some more. Your body has no idea that you ate anything because there's no nutrition in it. And I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I don't still love those things. There's just less time to consume them. And that's not a bad thing. Right. I'm all on board with that. And again, you know, I love the cheesy, crunchy things. So I just, my strategy is don't buy them because I have a hard time with those things because I love that crunch. I love that saltiness. That's what lights up the pleasure center in my brain is those types of foods. So I'm better off to not buy them. What lights up my brain is sugar and fat combinations. Together, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to eat a Twizzler or a Skittles. Those are sugar by themselves and do nothing for me. But once you mix in the fat, I could eat it all day long. Yeah. That's what lights up my brain. That's a huge point because so many people that have trouble, you know, they're like, oh, I'm addicted to sugar. It's the sugar and the fat combination together that seems to be extra problematic for us. You're right. There is no off switch for ice cream, but I would certainly not sit down and eat a bunch of Twizzlers. Absolutely not. (laughs) 
<laughs> but somebody else would. Somebody, yeah, somebody else, else would would That's eat true. the whole bag of Twizzlers, and that yeah. would do it for them. But That's then what they least... <laughs> they like, yeah, for sure. That's a very good point. So you mentioned that you aren't really weight aware. That's not something on your radar. It never has been, and you had to go back to doctor records to figure out how much you weighed. Do you have an idea of how much weight you've lost? So I think about fifteen pounds. Okay. I weighed in at 133 pounds at my most recent annual checkup. Mm-hmm. And so that's about 15 pounds. I know for sure the first year that I had been time-restricted eating that I had gotten down lower because of the clothes. Okay. But I think that maybe during that initial time where you're working really hard at it, the weight had dropped off even more, but that was not where I was wanting to be in the sustainability of eating. Maybe I was moving around more at that time. Whatever it was, I think right now is where the set point is, where I'm eating as much as I want to, and I feel okay. That's what we want. You know, we get caught up in the idea of I need to be as small as I possibly can be. And that might not really be our goal. You know, I could be smaller than I am right now if I dieted my way there, but I don't want to do that. I have a goal lifestyle, and it sounds like you do too. You have found your goal lifestyle. You feel good in your body. You don't have the eczema. You don't have the cuts that won't heal. You eat in a way that feels good to your body. You have the energy. And so you're not at the smallest size you could possibly be, but that is not your goal. That's right. This is the point that I've gotten to where I feel happy and I can maintain and sustain it. There are so many opportunities to go to Starbucks and get a caramel macchiato, but I don't even want it. I've been drinking black coffee for so long that even during a food window, I'm still drinking black coffee. I would never, never, ever have imagined that that would be my reality. Because I could probably drink two caramel macchiatos if I tried hard before. (laughs) (laughs) I had never had boba tea. Have you ever had boba tea? I had never had it. I don't know, but I had it in San Francisco. Cal and Kate took us somewhere that they like. And it was like, I don't know. The one I had had, I don't know what was in it, but it had coffee-ish notes and what's the word? Molasses. It's too much. It was too much. Yes. much. (laughs) Chad, bless his heart. Y'all know how Chad is. So Cal and Kate ordered on their little app. And Chad was like, I don't want anything. But Cal assumed he would want some of mine. So he ordered me a large. So I got a large. And I'm like trying to drink it. And Chad, of course, was like, no, I don't want any of that. So he just said no. He didn't even have it. (laughs) So guess who drank the whole large? Me. (laughs) And you never feel great afterwards. No, I felt awful. You know, it was very sweet. And I can see like, no, this is not something that belongs as a normal part of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Next time I'm there, I definitely would not get a large, but my brain was super happy. It enjoyed that brief, whatever it was that I was having. So is there anything that you struggle with? I think that initially, I think I would have said that I struggled with the hunger during the very initial stages when you don't know what that feeling is and why it's happening. I think in the first month, I had two headaches. I attribute that to like a whole body flush out. Something was moving and shaking. I put myself to bed, which is just unusual, but I had that happen twice and some headaches. But it was a short-lived period of time, and it was worth having suffered it out to get to this point. Right. I can't even imagine starting and stopping and starting and stopping and just getting all the bad parts without getting to the good parts. 
Yeah. And that is what so many people find themselves trapped in is that they're stuck in the adjustment period forever and it never gets easier. Maybe they're not fast and clean or maybe they take weekends off and you really are living in the hard part. So there is a certain discomfort that's going to happen as your body is adapting and knowing that that is temporary. And look, if it didn't get better, could we do this long term? No. And we wouldn't want to. So everybody who's new, and this episode comes out end of November, we got holiday people thinking about, you know, January starting, but go ahead and start now. And you're going to be a little uncomfortable at the beginning. Get through that and it's going to be so much better on the other side. We promise. I was uncomfortable every single day. So what's prior to I have yes. discomfort? Yeah, yes. yeah. Just know that on the other side, you're going to feel so much better that you might feel a little bit worse for a little bit of time, but that is transient and you're going to feel better. And we're not lying to you. It does feel better. <laughs> we promise. Well, Julie, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? I think that this type of eating regimen is for somebody who really likes food, Mm -hmm. for somebody who loves to eat and they like to eat a good quantity of food at one sitting. This is how you can sustain it and not have a weight management issue to deal with for the rest of your life. I think that anyone who lands on your podcast, they're there for some reason. And for me, it was to get the permission to do something that I was completely foreign to me before. And that was the permission to not have to eat all the time, Mm -hmm. that it was going to be okay. And this option is better than what I was doing before. (laughs) So I, I would say that this is a lazy person's health and weight management program. It's true. I almost named Delay Don't Deny That. I'm glad I didn't. But that was one of the titles in my head because you don't have to do anything. You're just doing nothing. And I like that. Yeah, me too. Well, Julie, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the good that you put out into the world. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Hey, listeners, it's Will Arnett. Our podcast, Smartless, has crossed a milestone that seemed unfathomable when we started nearly four years ago as we've just released our 200th 
100th episode. Join us as we welcome that dynamic duo of hilarity, Steve Martin and Martin Short. You've seen them on screen together in The Three Amigos, Father of the Bride 1 and 2, and most recently, and Only Murders in the Building. Both are comedic geniuses in their own right, but together they are always electric. And this episode of Smartless is no exception. I don't know if I've laughed more in a single episode than this one. We discuss their career arcs both separately and as a comedy team, how they met, who is more difficult to work with, and what motivates them today. Is Steve a better banjo player than Marty as a singer? Find out on this bicentennial episode of Smartless. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you get to hear Sean cry. What a loser! 